annoying preparation for Hello this morning. Hello and welcome. Learning a little bit the about following cancer. message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Most of us have some experience with cancer, whether it was ourselves or somebody we know. Personally, I remember being in the room with Heather at the hospital when we learned that she had cancer back in 2012. Hers was a unique kind. It was it was treatable. The doctors knew what to do. And it was our understanding that uh, she was going to be okay. What I didn't understand at the time is how cancer works. Now, I am, I'm not a doctor, so just come with me for a minute, okay? This is, this is my best translation um, of how cancer works. It turns out that some tumors trick the immune system. Like these, these cancer cells, depending on where they're in the body, in the tumor, they can masquerade as injured tissue and the body can't tell the difference. So it sends helper cells thinking that it is healing the injury. What's really happening is that it is feeding the tumor and it's growing and it's spreading. And, and you know, treating cancer would be a lot easier for us if we could train the body to know that it's cancer and we could just get rid of it right away. We're not there yet. And so until then, the best option for a lot of people is still surgery. And you know, that is a helpful picture of the goal of church discipline. You know, I, um, I came across a blogger uh, recently named Isaac Adams. He describes what it was like when his own father was removed from the church where they were members through a process of church discipline. Adams is, is really honest about how hard it was, but also how beautiful it was. He says, church discipline drove this church to her master, Christ for refuge. My dad's sin spread division through the church like cancer. God's corrective surgery, which in this case was formal church discipline, removed that spreading division. As with any surgery, wounds ran deep and scars remain. But ultimately, that local body, now healed and strengthened, better displays God's holiness love and name. You know, when I read Adam's description of this church discipline situation, it really reminds me, you know, the, the, the things that make it hardest for us to be the church don't come from outside. They come from inside. You know, the, the things that make it hardest for us to be the church are actually among us already. They're inside our churches. They're inside my heart. They're in my heart. Now, uh, today we're continuing through our series called Table Manners for Brothers, Sisters, Saints, and Sinners. What we're doing is we're asking, you know, if we're going to be the church, what does it mean for us uh, individually? Like, what are the individual choices we need to make as followers of Jesus? But also, what sort of a church must we be? And last week we were talking about worldliness. We saw there is a kind of worldliness Uh, in chapter 3, that we are called into as followers of Jesus. We called it holy worldliness. Today, uh, we're going to look at a very complicated case of church discipline. We're skipping over chapter 4. We're getting into chapter 5. And we're going to follow the text pretty closely and just kind of learn what we can about this situation just by following the text. And we'll see it's sort of broken into four sections. There's first the problem, and then the remedy, And then the reason we do church discipline, then the risk of not doing church discipline. And before we close, I want to answer an objection and then share a few 
practical takeaways. I know that sounds like a lot, but I think we can do that in the time we've got and, and hopefully be out of here by, by supper time. So let's dive in and ask, what is the problem? What's the problem that's going on here? In a word, incest. You've got a man in this ongoing sexual relationship with not his mom, but his father's wife. And commentators agree, we're probably talking about his stepmother. Uh, and even so, it's forbidden by God. Uh, according to Jewish law, this guy should be stoned to death. Even under pagan law, this guy should go to trial and, and, and possibly, if he's found guilty, should face exile. And so incest is the problem, but it's not the only problem. Another part of the problem is that the people in this church, many of the people are proud. They're boasting. Another part of the problem is that it's it it's been it's gone undealt with for so long. Like it's been so it's been going on for some time and nobody's doing anything about it. They're like, let's wait till Paul gets here. Paul will know what to do. It's actually not that hard for me to imagine how this could happen. If it is for you, just come with me for a minute. Just imagine that uh, some celebrity has been part of Benediction Church for a while, okay? Suppose it's it's Justin Bieber. That would be really cool, right? For for Justin to be a member of our church. He's in. He's committed. He's even, let's say, on the leadership team. And let's say that a few years ago, sadly, Justin Bieber's mom dies. And that's when his dad, who happens to be Harrison Ford, gets remarried. Okay, Harrison remarries, and his new wife is Scarlett Johansson. And Justin Bieber brings his dad and his stepmom to church. Okay, and it's been going on like that for a few years. Now, within a couple of years, though, something happens. She's had a couple of babies, and those babies look a lot more like Justin Bieber than Harrison Ford. And that's when everybody understands this is not a normal stepmother stepson relationship. Everybody understands that they are sleeping together. And it's been going on for some time. Now, what should they do? What should the church do? They're not even sure. They're not sure because there there are some who argue on one side, guys, this isn't our business. This is personal. It's private. Justin's not hurting anybody. This is a consensual thing between two grown adults. So put your Bibles away. Give them a break. Like, you don't know what it's like to be Justin Bieber. We're all sinners. Who are we to judge? This is between them and God. So there's the there's the, the privacy people. On the other hand, there's the people who might argue, like, this could hurt us. Like, let's cover it up. If this goes public, it'll ruin us. We can't lose him. Look how much he gives to this church. Look how, look how many people have joined us because he's part of our church. If we handle this thing wrong, it'll, it'll divide us. So we should pray for him. Sure, we should pray for him. We should make space for him. But, but we're not going to make a big deal about it, okay? Because we've got to guard the unity of the church. So it seems to me this, the Corinthians are torn between Justin's privacy on one hand and the church's unity on the other. And just so you know, most of the reasons why churches don't get involved in a situation like this comes down to one of these two things. Either individualism and privacy on the one hand or politics and unity on the other. And Paul's saying, you guys should be mourning over this. You should have dealt with this long ago, but now the cancer has spread and it's almost like everybody knows. And now there's almost no option left but surgery. 
And so in the next section, Paul gives the remedy. The remedy. So what is it? Let me first say what it is not. The remedy for this situation is not avoidance. It is way too late for that. Paul is saying, you guys, you can't delay this. You can't delegate this to somebody else to do. This can't wait until Paul arrives. And that's why Paul actually says that I'm with you in spirit. He says it twice. In other words, like, I am with you guys. I'm, in my heart, I'm with you. And Christ's power is with you. And so you have everything you need in order to make a good decision here. You can figure this out. And so what's he going to ask him to do? Paul says, verse 5, Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. This is a form of church discipline. This is what we call church discipline. Now, I know how harsh that probably sounds. I also know how easily this teaching on church discipline can be abused. In my experience, church discipline is actually the most difficult part of church life. It's the most difficult part of church life. In this case, in the case of church discipline, table manners can mean saying to Justin, Justin, this isn't your table right now. And Paul's judgment on the situation is, look, you guys, he refuses to end this incestuous relationship. He refuses. And he expects to continue on going, being part of this church as though nothing is, is wrong, nothing's amiss. He has made his decision. Okay, Clearly, Jesus is not Lord of Justin's life right now, but the tempter is. And so... We respect that decision. We're going to hand him over. We love him, but he is not our brother right now. Now he is a guest. Until this changes, Justin is not a member. For all intents and purposes, he's a visitor. Now, how do you treat a visitor? Well, you don't treat him with coldness or shunning. We, we treat outsiders and guests with hospitality and with kindness and love and we pray and hope that they're going to come and believe in Jesus. Hopefully it plays out like this. Hopefully it goes, you know, maybe maybe Justin calls Dave and says, hey, hey David, when is our, um, when's the next leadership team meeting? Because I got some really great ideas. And David's going to have to say, sorry, Justin, like that is just not for you anymore. And well, Justin's going to go, hey, come on, David, it's me. And then Scott's going to have to say, uh, hey, hey, Justin, why don't you come to Alpha with me? Why don't we, go to, why don't we do Alpha together? And Justin's going to say, Alpha, give me a break, Scott. I'm supposed to be leading Alpha. This was my idea. And then, so maybe Jordan is going to have to say, Justin, that's what we want for you too. We want you to come to that place eventually as well. But, not right. but for right now, we think the best way that we can love you is actually to keep sharing with you about Jesus and sharing the difference that he makes in our lives. And, and, and Justin's not going to like that. But eventually, he should realize, I don't like this. I don't want to be a, a guest. I don't want to be a visitor here. I want to be a brother. I want to belong. And, and that is when his flesh is broken. That's when his taste for holiness and belonging should overcome his taste for the, this incestuous kind of relationship. And he'll end it. And he'll be restored. And we're going to celebrate. And we're going to go on living for Jesus. 
Okay, nobody is punishing Justin here. That is not what this is. Church discipline is not about making Justin pay for what he's done. It is restorative. It is redemptive. It's about bringing him back to where he belongs. That's that's the remedy. That's Paul's remedy. Now, in the next section, uh, Paul gives us the reason. Like, what happens if we do discipline well? What happens if we do? It's interesting that apparently the deepest meaning of discipline is connected with the Passover. So way back in the Exodus story, you know, the Jews are, they're slaves in Egypt. They are mixed among the Gentiles, sorry, they're mixed among the Egyptians. And, and God wants Pharaoh to set them free and Pharaoh refuses. And so God sends plague after plague to get his attention and it didn't work. And in the 10th plague, Okay, in the 10th plague, God warns them that he's going to release the destroyer. Okay, the destroyer is this angel who's going to go house to house. And he's going to kill the firstborn in every Egyptian home unless their house is marked by the blood of a lamb. And, and that night, as the destroyer goes around, he goes to every house. And when, he, when the destroyer comes to your house and sees the blood on the door... He's going to realize, no, these ones belong to Yahweh. And he's going to move on to the next house. Your house has been passed over. And you're free. You're free. You're no longer slaves. Now you are saved and you are free to leave Egypt. Now imagine, imagine that that night your family hears the news, Pharaoh has released us. Mom and dad, we're free to go. And mom and dad say, yeah, you know what? It's, it's not so bad here, after all. I mean, like, who knows what's out there, right? The desert is dry and there's hardly any water. Besides, here, the bread is delicious. We got this, we got all the leavened bread we could possibly eat. Let's stay. Let's stay, after all. Or imagine uh, mom and dad go, hey, you know what? That's great news. We're free. So we're going to go. We're going to go, but let's... First, this, let's just take a, a, a little bit of time to have a bit of a baking class, okay? Look, kids, isn't yeast cool? Here's how yeast works. You mix it in, you work it into the dough, and isn't it neat how just a little bit of yeast makes the whole batch rise? Watch. Ooh, isn't it, isn't it cool? Isn't yeast really cool? And kids, we're going to sit here for eight hours. Let's sit here for eight hours, and we're going to watch this little lump become a huge loaf of bread. And you're like, of course you can't do that. There's no time. You gotta leave the yeast. We are free. We have, we have no time for yeast anymore. We have no use for yeast anymore. We are free. And, 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 and this event was so central to the identity of Israel that the Passover became this annual celebration where the first step was you're going to get rid of all the yeast in your home because you don't need it. You don't have any use for it. Its only purpose was to remind you of what life in, in Egypt was like, and that's not who you are. And then once all of the yeast is gone, then you're going to sacrifice a lamb. You're going, to, uh, you're going to gather at the table. You're going to eat this feast and celebrate what God has done. And Paul's saying church discipline is about that. He knows, in verse 6, that a little bit of yeast affects the whole batch. And he knows, verse 7, that they are a new and an unleavened people. That's who they are. And Paul is saying... 
So sexual immorality doesn't belong. Justin's sin, this incest thing, this doesn't belong among you. This is yeast. Get rid of it because it's not part of your life anymore. Before Passover, that sort of thing, that was understandable, but not now. Not now on this side of the Passover. Now, Paul's saying, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, Paul's drawing a connection between Jesus and the Passover and saying, that is ours in Christ. That on the cross, Jesus is the lamb. He is our substitute, and it's his death in our place that saves us from the judgment. It saves us from the destroyer. And his blood marks us as his holy people. And he forgives us and he frees us from slavery. And if you know that, if, we, if you believe that he did that for us, why would you stay in Egypt? Why in the world? Why would we live as though we belong in Egypt? Why would we leave any yeast lying around as though we are still slaves? It makes no sense. And Paul is saying, that's why we do discipline. That is the reason. It's because Jesus has saved us. It has happened. And now there is no room for any yeast. Okay? Discipline is like the ultimate object lesson showing what Jesus has done for us. That's why we do discipline. Now, now what if we don't? Like, what's, what's the risk of not doing church discipline well? That's what Paul addresses in this last section, Now, uh, where he talks about the risk. Now, I, I recognize this, this part can be confusing. Almost every English translation uses the word associate, as in don't associate with sexually immoral people. And that should probably raise some questions in your mind because it's a very, associate can mean lots of different things. What can be confusing is that there is a kind of associating that surely is, is okay, right? Like, surely there are ways we can associate with sexually immoral unbelievers. Isn't that right? And, and, and surely there's, there's not. But we need to differentiate between what that, that kind of associating means and what it doesn't. So this word that is translated associate here in the English, it's a, it's a Greek verb, synonymignomai. I'll, I'll say it again. Synonymignomai. I know that's a, that's a complicated word, but it might sound to you like the word in English, synonymous. It's about being together, being similar. Sometimes it means engaged and mingled and mixed. This is actually super important because when it comes to friends and neighbors who don't claim to follow Jesus as Lord, Paul is saying, Yes, be among them. You may mix and mingle with them as ambassadors of Jesus. I'm not saying don't have anything to do with them. What are you going to do? Leave planet Earth? No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying, verse 11, is that if somebody claims to be a brother or sister and their lifestyle shows that they are not, that is a very different situation. Like in this case, Justin has professed faith in Jesus. Say he would, let's say he was baptized. He, was, he became a member. And, and now, by his lifestyle, Justin is telling Jesus to stuff it. And he wants to fit in anyway. He wants us to just ignore it. And, and Paul's saying, you can't. You can't mix it up and mingle with Justin. You, you can't be synonymous with that. In fact, most commentators agree that what Paul is saying when he says, 
don't even eat with such a person. That that's a picture of communion. And Paul is what Paul is saying is that you guys, Justin can't join you at the table, not while he is living like this. And so God is saying to us here, look. I will deal with wickedness and the wicked people outside the church. That's my job, okay? That's on me. I'm not talking about that here. I am talking about Justin. And so you need to expel the immoral brother. That's actually a quote from Deuteronomy. And what it, what it meant to them, they knew, is it's he has to go. You've got to purge him from you for a time. Like, come on, you guys. You know this. You know what we're doing here. You know what is on the line. It is okay for a church to mix with people who don't know Jesus. That, that is okay. That's a good thing, actually. That we, that's mission. But the last thing that Justin needs is to be allowed to go on like he's a brother when he's not. The last thing that, that's the last thing Justin needs. And the last thing that we want to be, we don't want to be a church where somebody like Justin can be a member in good standing and it doesn't seem to matter. Like that is not a good situation. And so listen to this from Martin Lloyd-Jones. There is no purpose in having a basis or a confession of faith unless it is applied. So we must assert the element of discipline as being essential to the true life of the church. And what calls itself a church which does not believe in discipline and does not use it and apply it is therefore not a true church. Do you hear what he's saying? I know it's strong. I agree, though. A church that fails to discipline isn't a church. Folks, a church that fails to discipline isn't a church. Now, I know how that sounds. I know how that sounds. So let's let's take a minute now to deal with a common understandable objection. The objection is, how is this loving? How is discipline a Christ-like loving way to treat Justin? Now, I've wrestled with this a lot. This is this is a this is a hard passage. You know, it's not hard to understand. Not not that it's hard to understand so much as that it requires a certain courage. And, and trust and faith in order to apply it. You know, we love our personal privacy and our, our autonomy. And on the other side, we love unity. We love being together. And both of those are great. And if, if you land in one side or the other, you got to know you are going to struggle to see church discipline as loving. And, and that's why we need to address this objection. We need to first address the personal privacy side. Okay, so this side says, it's Justin's business. Who's he hurting? And, and like, I agree. We don't want to be the sin police. All right, I'm with you on that. By the way, as an aside, is that really a danger for us? Like, are, are we really at risk of doing too much discipline in our culture? So, so let's remember, it was Jesus who said, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. Re- repent and believe the good news. Jesus said that. And it was Jesus who said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. So, so if you ignore Justin's destructive choices, there are going to be lots of folks in our culture who are going to say that you're being tolerant and open-minded. But please don't call it love. You know, if we really believe that this situation is a cancer that is spreading, and if you ignore it, and if it destroys lives, those people will not thank you. That is not love. 
It's not love. Now, let me answer the objection from the other, the other side, the church unity side. Because the church unity side says that we can't afford to lose and we've got to stay together. Now, I, am, I agree in the sense that, yeah, division is bad. And I agree that Jesus ate with sinners, but Jesus didn't sin with sinners. You know, it's Jesus who says in Matthew 18, look guys, if somebody sins against you, go tell them. If they won't repent, bring some witnesses. If that doesn't work, go tell the church. If that doesn't work, then you got to put them outside, treat them like an outsider and a tax collector. That's Jesus talking, okay? Like, there is such a thing, my friends, there is such a thing as false unity. You know, like, being together is great. But being together is the mission of no church. I love that in Benediction Church, I get to spend so much time with people who are my friends. I love that. But just so you know, if being together was our goal, we didn't need to plant a church to do that. We could hang out on Sunday mornings. We could get together over dinner. We could read the Bible. Being together isn't it. I would want to say to the unity side, it's not unity that unites us. It's Christ that unites us. Okay, we are not united by unity. We are united by Christ. And so whichever side we come from, we need to know we are not going to outlove Jesus. Okay, church discipline, it's it's his idea. So I, I hope we've answered this objection, whether church discipline is actually loving. And so I want to close now with three takeaways. As I study this passage, as I reflect on these things for, for myself, I find myself reaffirming a few commitments. The first thing I want to make sure that I'm doing is I want to make sure that I am giving my time to real issues, not imaginary ones. You know, you know here in this passage, Paul's responding to a specific case, not a hypothetical one. And, and that's really important. That's helpful. You know, in my experience, hypothetical situations, hypothetical questions, that's how lazy people try to catch you or try to trap you or trip you up into saying something that is unbiblical. This isn't that, okay? Paul is not answering what ifs. He's not answering whether any sexually immoral person could hypothetically be part of any hypothetical church. What he's doing is he is applying the Passover story to a specific situation in a specific church, okay? He's dealing with a specific problem, and that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to give my time to real issues and not waste time on imaginary stories and, and on pointless, fruitless debates. So I'm going to give my time to real issues. Another thing I think we want to take away from this is the importance of church discipline as a form of surgery. It's a form of surgery. You know, if discipline is surgery, then it's got to remove the tumor. It's got to remove the, the tumor cells, not less than the tumor, but also not much more. You know, the rest of the tissue in the body that needs to be left intact so it can heal. You know, and, and, and what that means is that most of the time, church discipline is going to start and end privately between two people over a conversation, maybe over the phone, maybe over coffee in person, maybe uh, over Zoom. Maybe, maybe it's going to be in the context of a huddle where you need to kind of lovingly challenge one of the guys or one of the ladies in your huddle. Maybe it's going to be over dinner in a faith family context. 
If necessary, it might involve a visit from a pastor or an elder or two. And in some cases, maybe the cancer spreads and maybe Justin goes off to join another church. And if that happens, surgery is going to continue there too. And in very rare cases, discipline might take the form of a, like a formal message to the gathered church. But you know, a good doctor knows that if a patient has like a tiny skin cancer, the first step to treating it isn't to remove his lungs and his kidneys and his colon. And so in the same way, public discipline needs to be surgical. It needs to be the, the last option, not the first. All right, going public is not, the, is not the first option, it's the last. The last takeaway I think for us is gonna be on the meaning of membership. You know, church membership, it, it's gotta mean something. You need to know what you can expect from your church and what your church expects from you, okay? And just so you know, when you became a member of Benediction Church, you gave informed consent to church discipline. That's part of what happens in membership. And so, you know, you can expect your brothers and sisters and your leaders to reach out in love and in discipline before the cancer takes you. You can expect that if you're a member. And we need to expect that from you if you're a member, that if it's me in in whom the cancer is spreading and growing, I need to be able to expect loving discipline from you. And, and that's why I am so passionate about church membership. You know, we're going to practice church membership even if we are the last church that does. Um, let me give the last word here to Thabiti Anyabwile. I just find him so helpful on this. He says, Churches that would exalt the name of Jesus and the truth of the gospel must have compassion and courage enough to exercise church discipline for the benefit of the person disciplined, for the health of the congregation, for the integrity of the gospel, and ultimately for the purity of Christ's bride and the praise of the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.